If you've got an outline, I am going to give you a lot of uh, biblical references today. So you may want to, uh, even if you don't normally take notes, you may want to have a pen in hand and just get those so that you can come back to these uh, going forward. So we're in a new segment of Isaiah starting in chapter 28 and it goes to chapter 33. And as you've noticed, you know, Isaiah kind of gets broken up in a number of different ways. Sometimes we'll just cover a single chapter and his good old Phil Herndon uh, covered, I think, 10 or 11 a couple weeks ago. That was, he like should get a trophy or something for that. Uh, but that's kind of the way Isaiah works. And so we're going to hit these next uh, five chapters or so uh, over the next few weeks. Um, but Jeff wrapped up a little segment from 24 to 27 last week. And it wasn't it awesome, this incredible celebration of God's redemptive plan and this incredible message of reassurance for his people that he is at work, he is restoring, he is defending, protecting, providing, like he's doing all of these things and it all ends well. So uh, I, I wanted to remind us of this one phrase in here that uh, is such an encouragement. Chapter 26, verse 3, uh, and then also verse 4, says, you... Keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And then verse four, trust in the Lord forever. In light of all that God has said he will do and in light of how he says all things will end, trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. And isn't the saga of Isaiah like, that, that really raises the question. We have been watching Israel through all of its history after becoming a divided kingdom, trusting and not trusting in the Lord, right? And the primary uh, issue I think that they're often facing is fear. Like they're living in this broken, sinful world and there's threats on every side coming from all different kinds of places. So everybody feels afraid and everybody responds to that fear in a different way. I, I wonder about you. Every person in this room feels fear about something. Now, I don't know what it is and I don't know how big it is, but I know that you feel something about living in a broken world that is outside of your control. And, and this passage that I just read, these few little statements tell us to trust in the Lord, but that's pretty challenging, isn't it? So we're always facing this great dilemma of kind of faith and our fear, and will we trust in ourselves or will we trust in the Lord? Will we come up with our own plans or will we follow God's plans? That's the great dilemma here. And so last week, Jeff takes us to this amazing celebration of God's redemptive plan. And this week, we fall off the cliff. The strangest response ever, and I, I don't imagine that this happened like right after, like 28 came right after chapter 27 in real time, but, but nevertheless, as readers, that's how we encounter it. So we just read this amazing celebration, and then we, then we come to chapter 28. Ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim. Like, what happened there? There's a word in this segment that caught my eye. And uh, like nobody told me to do this, I was just reading along, it got my attention, and so I dug a little further, 
And I honestly think it's, it's the best lens of all for understanding this passage. And so uh, the word in your outline there is uh, scoffing. We're going to learn about the scoffer. That is Israel's response to all the goodness of God. It's the strangest thing in the world, but it's directly tied to the fear that they have and their strategy for dealing with that fear. So today we're going to learn a lot about scoffers. Uh, let me tell you just a little bit, uh, kind of up front by way of introduction. This is the very last degree of ungodliness. So like, it's bad. This isn't just sort of a bad attitude. I'm kind of in a bad mood today. This is as bad as it gets. This is the fullest formation of a fool. When they get to this place, they're in a bad place. It doesn't get any worse. They mock, they ridicule, they show contempt, not only horizontally to the people around them, but to God himself and to his word. They reject wisdom to follow the path of folly, which it just seems strange to us, doesn't it? If we sort of step back and objectively, like you look at a fool and the way he or she lives and you just go, why would a person ever do that? And then we look in the mirror and we ask that same question. Why do we do what we do? Proverbs 24, 8 and 9 says, whoever plans to do evil will be called a schemer. The devising of folly is sin, and the scoffer is an abomination to mankind. Here's something for sure. You can write this down. You don't want to be a scoffer. If you're a parent, you don't want to raise a scoffer, and none of us want to follow a scoffer, for sure. So let's learn from this passage the pathway of the scoffer so that we can avoid it for ourselves and perhaps help others do the same. The Bible actually says a fair amount about scoffers and their scoffing. You can write down 2 Peter 3, 1 through 3. Peter said in the, in the last days, there's going to be scoffers, people who ridicule the word of God and the things of God and the people of God. So don't be surprised when you see that, when you encounter that in your world. Proverbs 1, 7 and 22 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So there's the contrast. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple or naive? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Like the, Solomon's going... Why would anybody do this? And it may be because they have more confidence in themselves than they do in the one who made them. So with that kind of backdrop, let's learn about scoffers. First of all, and you can, uh, I think this is in your notes, chapter 28, the first eight verses, scoffers squander spiritual favor in pursuit of futile bodily indulgence. Okay, honestly, the first eight verses here, if you just look at verse eight, it gives you a good picture of what's going on. All the tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. Like this is a drunken binge. These people are as lit as you can be. It's 
crazy. And what's strange, I think, to Isaiah, and you might even imagine him coming upon this big party, he comes up and he's like, did you guys know that Assyria's coming? Did you know that this whole place is about to be destroyed? And they're like, yeah, man, give me another one. It doesn't make any sense at all, but that's their response to the significance of what's happening in their midst. They have an inability to appraise the real value of things. And so they, I imagine, this is Israel, God's chosen people. He's spoken directly with them. He has been present, miraculous. He's given them prophets and priests and kings. He's, he's worked on their behalf for hundreds of years. And yet they will dismiss that as casually as anything in the world. It's, it's mind-boggling. It's the complete opposite of something that Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16. So, so you've got these people who are giving themselves to self-indulgence when Christ is calling them to self-sacrifice. Uh, Matthew 16, 24, Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, not indulge himself, and take up his cross and follow me. It's a life of sacrifice. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? This is the, the question to the scoffer. What does it profit a man or a woman to gain the whole world and lose their soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? The scoffer will give everything, everything that matters, to have stuff that doesn't matter. And somewhere in the midst of that is some source of security that they are unable to attach to their creator. Proverbs 23, 19 through 21, hear my son and be wise and direct your heart in the way the way that we read about in chapter 26. Be not among drunkards or among gluttonous eaters of meat, for the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty. And that's not just physical, material, that's spiritual as well. And slumber will clothe them with rags. If you don't want to be a, a scoffer, if you don't want to raise a scoffer, and if you don't want to follow a scoffer, make sure you're not trading eternal things for temporary, meaningless things. Here's the core problem of the scoffer. This is the uh, second point in your outline. They are mistakenly wise in their own eyes. Other, why else would they do what they're doing? Uh, in uh, chapter 28, verse 9, this raucous crowd that uh, Isaiah encounters, he's been uh, speaking to them. He has been He's brought God's word to them, a word of warning, a word of encouragement, a word of instruction. Here's their response. To whom will he, they're speaking of Isaiah, to whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast? Verse 10, for it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, 
Line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Here's the idea. They're like, you know, Isaiah, I mean, you got a lot to say, but we're kind of above it. Could you give us some meat? Could you really teach us? Or is your stuff just for the children? That's the question they're asking. And of course, we're, we're watching and reading and listening and we're thinking, man, you don't need anything but what he's giving you. But they just continue to dismiss it because they mistakenly believe that they are far more wise than they really are. They say uh, with Assyria coming, we have made a covenant with death and with Sheol we have made an agreement as if you can actually do that. When the overwhelming whip passes through, it will not come to us for we have made lies our refuge and in falsehood we have taken shelter. They say to Isaiah, listen, all this stuff about you know, judgment and correction and discipline, all that kind of stuff, we got it. I, we, we, just, we, we got everything arranged. We got all of our alliances in place. We're going to be fine. Write down Proverbs 14, 12. You probably heard it a thousand times. Let this sink in. There is a way that seems right to a man or a woman. I mean, it is just as clear as it can be. They would bet everything on it. There's a way. It seems absolutely right. But you know what? That way leads to death. Not just some of the time, not just like rolling the dice and it might end up in death. Their way, apart from God, on their own, leads to death. Even as right as it seems. That's the way of the scoffer. They're absolutely convinced of their own ideas and don't take the time and don't have the humility to check their ideas against God's word. And that's their crucial mistake. And it's costly. It will cost them everything. Down in verse 9 of uh, chapter 30. I'm bouncing around a little bit here, but remember we're learning about the scoffer. So... Down in verse 9, here's what God says about these, these people. They are rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord. So remember, they're telling Isaiah that his teaching is kind of beneath them. And yet the Lord says, no, actually, you're like little children who are so fascinated with your own ideas and your own activities, you won't listen. Verse 10 they say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy illusions. Leave the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. That is the wisdom of a scoffer. Here's what the book of wisdom says about scoffers. Write down Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, 12. A scoffer does not like to be reproved. He will not go to the wise. 
Proverbs 18, 2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So I got to ask, how open are you to a voice other than your own? Like if somebody comes to you and they need to correct you, they need to point out a place where you've gotten off track. Like, are you open to receiving that? I know it's hard. I don't like it. <laughs> but how do we ever grow in wisdom if we're not open to something outside of our own thoughts? I've known a few wise people in my day, and the interesting thing is, they are the ones who seem most eager to learn. And they're the last ones to ever try and tell everybody how, much, how smart they are. Like they just kind of steadily go along, always hungry, always receiving, always discerning. They don't say much, but when they say something, it really means something. It's wise. I think there's some real challenge here for us in an age where we've, we have so much information at our fingertips. And I think, I think it gives us the impression that we're a lot further along than we really are. I know I've told this story before, but one of my favorite professors of all time, Dr. Howard Hendricks, at 80 years old, he would sit at a table under the teaching of a 25, 30, 35 year old guy and take notes like there was no tomorrow. I'm just telling you, I don't know a wiser guy than Howard Hendricks, but he's taken notes. So probably a great example for the rest of us mere mortals to follow, right? Like take notes. It doesn't mean you have to agree with everything, but learn, soak it up, particularly the word of God. So scoffers, they mistakenly believe that they are more wise than they are. They also proudly sacrifice themselves on the altar of empty religion. So again, it's this idea that they've got some idea about the way things ought to be done. They just don't check with God <laughs> to see if that is the way things ought to be done. So uh, in chapter 29, verses 1 through 4, uh, let me start here. Ah, Ariel, Ariel, the city where David encamped. Add year to year, let the feasts run their round. Yet I, God says, will distress Ariel, and there shall be moaning and lamentation, and she shall be to me like an Ariel. So what, what is an Ariel? What is that? Well, literally, it is an altar hearth. Okay, so just imagine a sacrificial altar, and, and that that base, that foundation, that's an aerial. Now, here's what he's saying. He put Jerusalem in place to be an altar unto him. But it was a place where sacrifice would be made, not of the people themselves. So in other words, all the world would look at this city of Jerusalem and they would know that there's a sacrificial system going on and that city would be this place where sacrifices could be made 
And people could actually be forgiven without sacrificing themselves, like losing their own life. But he says, in light of the scoffing that's going on, guess what? Jerusalem is going to be an altar and you're going to be the sacrifice. You are going to bear the fires of judgment. Completely opposite to what God intended for that city from the very beginning, but still glorifying to the one who made it. And I guess in a sense, we all get to decide that. Are you going to be one for whom the sacrifice is made or are you going to be the one on the stone, on the aerial, sacrificing for yourself? Tough decision. These folks thought they had a better idea about religious activity and they would go through the motions and reassure themselves for having done so without ever acknowledging that this is all meant to move me to a place of genuine trust and dependence upon my God. So, God says, I'm going to encamp against you all around and will besiege you with towers. I will raise siege works against you and you will be brought low from the from the earth you shall speak, and from the dust your speech will be bowed down. Your voice shall come from the ground like the voice of a ghost, and from the dust your speech shall whisper. And that's painful. And they can't point to their empty religion and hold that up to God because he knows it's not the real deal. It's just religious activity. Here's a familiar description in verse 13. The Lord said, Because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, while their hearts are far from me, that's the, the life of a scoffer, and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men, therefore, behold, I will again do wonderful things with this people. And that wonderful isn't a fun little celebration. It's an act of judgment. And he's saying, I'm going to do that so that I might bring about a return and redemption. Uh, Barry Webb says this in his commentary, false religion is the very worst kind of pride because it attempts to make God into our servant instead of recognizing that we are his. Scoffers beware the trap of empty religion. Well, next, moving forward, back to chapter 28, verse 15. Scoffers are prone to foolish decisions. Surprising, isn't it? In light of all that we've learned so far. But not only that, they're prone to painful consequences. And I may have said this before, but I did tell my kids over and over again, they probably got sick of hearing it, but I said, you have absolute freedom to do anything you want to. But you do not have the freedom to avoid the consequences of those choices. So have at it. I'm, I'm trying to tell you the best way to live, but you get to choose. And then you get the consequences of whatever choices you make. So these folks were making a lot of choices and they were pretty happy with them. But the consequences are incredibly, 
incredibly painful. Remember they talked about their covenant with death and how they had made these arrangements uh, to protect themselves? Well, the Lord says, Behold, I am the one who has laid a foundation in Zion, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation. Whoever believes will not be in haste. In other words, I'm the one who determines how this is all going to work. And I'm the one who offers you protection on my terms. And so I'm glad to make a sacrifice for you, but you're going to do it my way. And if you don't do it my way, then you get to live with the consequences of going your own way. And they're painful. Look at verse 17. I will make justice the line and righteousness the plumb line and hail will sweep away the refuge of lies and waters will overwhelm the shelter. Then your covenant with death will be annulled and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overwhelming scourge passes through, you will be beaten down by it. As often as it passes through, it will take you. For morning by morning, it will pass through. By day and by night, and it will be sheer terror to understand the message. That is the wonderful things that God said he would do in response to the scoffing. Verse 20. The bed is too short to stretch oneself on and the covering too narrow to wrap oneself in. If you ever laid down on a bed and your feet are hanging over the end, I'm kind of short, so that doesn't happen very often. But my sons, on the other hand, their feet are sticking way out. Or you got the blanket and it kind of goes down to your knees. He's saying, listen, I've, I've tried to tell you. You made your bed... Now lie in it. That's the word to the scoffer. There's some thick irony here. We're introduced to uh, Egypt of all nations in this new segment. So remember we had Assyria coming down and um, threatening that whole region. And so King Ahaz thought, well, I'll just make a deal with them and they can take out the northern kingdom and we'll be fine. Well, then they begin to feel threatened by Assyria. So where do they go? Of all the places on earth they could go, they go to Egypt. Somebody somewhere, I'd like to know who that guy was. Like, where did that idea come from? Like, you were 400 years uh, in captivity in Egypt. Do you remember that? It's been a while, it's been 700 years, but they wanna go back to Egypt and they actually believe that that nation will make them more secure than their own God. It's a warning. Uh, just jot down uh, chapter 31, one through five. We're not gonna go there, but um, that will kind of close out this segment and enter into uh, the passage that Jeff will cover next week. But um, here's verse 15 of uh, chapter 30 that kind of pulls this whole idea together. For thus said the Lord God to the Holy One, I'm sorry, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. 
not in your own plans, not in your own alliances, but in rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. And you said, no, we will flee upon horses, more of our own ideas. Therefore, you shall flee away and we will ride upon swift steeds. Therefore, your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one and the threat of five you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. It's, it's just like Israel was becoming everything it was never intended to be. They were supposed to, to be a beacon of light and hope to the world. And now they are a mockery because they have trusted in themselves instead of trusting in their God. Well, last lesson about scoffers is in uh, chapter 28, verse 22. And this is probably the most sobering of all. Scoffers are in grave danger of a seared conscience. Of a seared conscience. Isaiah writes, Now therefore do not scoff, lest your bonds be made strong. The idea here is that they have continued to go back again and again and again to their own ways and dismissed the ways of God. And he's saying, you better be careful because there, there could come and most likely will come a time when you won't be able to come back. You're just going to fall into that and stay there for the rest of your life. Uh, one commentator uh, wrote, deliberate action fixes character. Think about that. When you and I make choices, we keep making those choices over and over and over again. It begins to turn into a habit. And I think somebody smart somewhere said a habit turns into character, right? So deliberate action fixes character and the point comes where there is no return. Write down Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, and everything that that means, will from the flesh reap corruption. That's what happens. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's what happens when you trust in the Lord. When you walk in the Spirit, when you rely upon Him, you get life. Remember, there's a way that seems right to a man, their own way. They go that way and they die. But there's others who humbly depend, they depend on the Lord. They trust in Him. They follow in His ways and they live. Which way do you want to walk? John Oswalt says there can be no more frightening motivation to listen to God than this, the thought that if you refuse to hear today, one day you might no longer be able to hear. Man, let that sink in. I want to finish up uh, maybe with some encouragement. I'm not calling anybody in here a scoffer, and I'm, like I said, I'm not trying to be one. I certainly don't want to raise one, and I don't want to follow one. So here's some good news for scoffers. To keep in mind, first of all, God sees and God saves. There's this funny little section in chapter 29, begins in verse 15, 
It says, ah, you who hide deep from the Lord your counsel, whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, who sees us? Who knows us? You turn things upside down. Shall the potter be regarded as the clay? That the thing made should say of its maker, he did not make me, or the thing formed uh, say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. Here's a picture for you. I love this picture. <laughs> like, that's us, right? I don't think he sees me. Like, we're planning, we're scheming, we got all kinds of great ideas. We're just standing behind that tree. God sees. He knows what's going on behind there. You're not going to pull a fast one on God. Now, here's another picture. Now, I love this picture, too. It's the return of the prodigal. Like, he went his own way. He stood behind the tree. He did everything that he wanted to do and ended up in pig slop. And then he remembered his conscience had not yet been seared. He said, man, I, I could have it good with my father. And so he returns. And look at, the, look at the welcome. If you haven't read Luke 15 in a while, give that a read. That's the heart of God. He will judge. He is righteous and holy. There is a standard with the Lord, but he is gracious and kind. Uh, Love this in uh, chapter 30. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you. And therefore, he exalts himself to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. For a people shall dwell in Zion and Jerusalem. You shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears it, he answers you. You know what? Like you can spend the rest of your life standing behind that stupid tree doing whatever it is you think you ought to be doing. Or you can just come out from behind that tree and go to the Father and just say, I'm yours. Like you just tell me what to do and I'll do it. I'm tired of coming up with my own plans because they never work. They just lead me to death. I, I wrote in your notes, the scoffer's only hope is surrender. <laughs> Give up. And just, just follow the book. He's not, he's not hiding the way. He could not be more eager to show you the way. I like the way this, uh, the rest of this segment in chapter 30 concludes um, in verse 20. Though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction. We've been reading a lot about that in the book of Isaiah. So though he does all that, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore. But your eyes shall see your teacher and your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way. Like you don't have to you don't have to look anymore. Here it is. This is the way. Walk in it. When you turn to the right, when you turn to the left, 
That's the Lord, our teacher. And he loves to instruct his children if they will only listen. And then secondly, a little further down in verse 26, it talks about the Lord, our healer. It talks about a time when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. He does discipline, but then he restores. And then lastly, in verse 32, the Lord, our warrior, battling with brandished arm, he will fight with them and he will fight for them. He is our teacher, he is our healer, he is our warrior, and all he asks of us is surrender. Just give it up and follow. I'll leave you with this, Romans 2, 4. In light of all of his goodness, his, his eager desire to be gracious to us, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance, to turning from your own way and following hard after him. That's what his kindness is all about doing in your life. I don't want to be a scoffer. I don't want to raise a scoffer. And I don't want to follow a scoffer. And this passage really helps me understand what that kind of life is like so that I can avoid it and help others to do the same. I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to let this sink in. Maybe the Lord is convicting you of, of some of these characteristics, you know. Maybe you think a little more highly of yourself than you should. Maybe you aren't as eager for the Lord's instructions as you ought to be. Maybe you give yourself to empty religion, just going through the motions instead of that coming from the place of the heart. So I don't know what it is for you. I know as we started that we're all afraid and we're going to do something about that fear. We can do it as a scoffer or we can do it uh, by following our Savior. I'll give you an opportunity. Just go to the Lord with that. Ask Him to bring to your mind whatever it is you need to do in response to his word. Mm.